Hello and welcome to episode four of the Carrier's Edge podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jane Jazrawi, and my other host is... Mark Morrell. And you are? A co-founder of Carrier's Edge, along with some rando that I picked up on the street. What? You didn't introduce yourself as a co-founder, so no, I, get, I, didn't, I, didn't. I get to create the category that you live in. So right? I'm the rando who you picked up on the street. That's correct. Sadly, it's more likely the other way. <laughs> <laughs> so what have we got on for today? We are going to talk about Best Fleets. Uh, because yeah. Best Fleets is the uh, major force of how we move through November. Dude, and it's, uh, it's all day and all night. Every day. And all we talk about, sleep, dream, eat. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how we uh, decide on what courses to build. And what was the other one? Upcoming events. Okay. And recent events. And recent events. Because so that's all about you because I've been homebound. So. No, that's all not the... true. Some of these things are stuff that you've been doing. The events? Well, other activities that oh, we've okay. been engaged in. Yeah. Events? I haven't been to an event. Yes. Well, uh, well, let's start with that and get it out of the way, because the okay. last time we did one of these, I was just about to embark on an exciting trip to Oklahoma City for the ATA's Safety and Security Conference. Uh, and I will share with all of our viewers, listeners, listeners um, yes, the wonderful adventure that I had, which is that I... Uh, Traveling while broken. Yes, I tore my rotator cuff two days before leaving for that show, except I didn't know that I had done that. I thought that I just slept on it badly and had a sore muscle, so uh, I just thought I was being a wimp and started dragging my uh, suitcases and the trade show booth And And let's just flights. say that to go from Toronto to Oklahoma City is not an easy venture. It's not a direct flight. Yes, you you are taking at least two planes. Yeah. In in that, so injured, carrying a whole bunch of stuff, and Jammed dealing into with flights that have very little. And dealing with two of them, so. Yeah, yes, and actually, it was, uh, it was the first time in a while that I've flown on a U.S. based carrier because one of the legs I had to fly on United, uh, and I normally fly Air Canada, which is, as far as international airlines go, it's pretty nice. They don't jam you in too tight. But that second leg uh, on the United flight, I was reminded of how jammed all of these uh, uh, air, airlines are typically because uh, I think there's an extra three rows of seats uh, in the plane compared to what Air Canada does. So it's a lot tighter. And man, I was jammed on all sides. I was sitting in the seat. You can't even have a magazine sitting on your lap because it's touching you and it's jammed into the seat in front of you. So you have to have the magazine sort of up on a 45 degree angle to fit it in the space there. So not the kind of thing you want to be uh, experiencing when you've got a, uh, a busted up shoulder, uh, especially when you don't really know what the problem is. You just know that every way you move, it hurts. So I managed to make it to Oklahoma City, set up the booth, which is not easy to do one-handed <laughs> because the other hand was not helping, uh, then go through the week, um, get through the show, and then bring everything back. So uh, arrived home Thursday night, from that conference, Friday morning at 9 a.m., I was at a chiropractor uh, who looked at it and said, yeah, you tore your rotator cuff. I can see it's really swollen here. Um, so that was like two weeks ago, a little more than two weeks ago I and was there. I go to the same chiropractor, so he keeps on telling me how hurt you were. Mm. Like I didn't know. 
Yes, and that he's, I was unaware, or I was somehow being unsympathetic. Oh, he's making cracks about how it's your fault. Uh, yes. It wasn't my fault. No, it wasn't your fault. It was just uh, one of those things that happens. Uh, not a fun experience for me. Uh, but there was also a show that happened in there. It wasn't Apparently, just me. There was a show. Know, there was more than just me whining for four days. Apparently, a show happened even though you were not. Even though I was in pain, they still had the show going. Can you believe that? I can't. It's they didn't stop the whole dramatic. thing. Yes. So it was a uh, basically a two and a half day conference, which I had never been to before. So I really didn't understand the lay of the land. It looked like a really long conference because it looked like it was three full days, which is a long time for a, uh, a safety conference. But it turned out that it was like two days, basically. And then uh, the first day was kind of like a half day of committee meetings and stuff. And they threw in some extra programming for people who came in early. So I didn't really need to be there as long as I was, um, but now I know for next year. So that was the event. It was a good event, uh, some interesting speakers, um, and uh, I don't really remember much of what happened outside of the fact that, in case I haven't mentioned it, my arm was injured. <laughs> I was in pain for part What was of your it. shoulder? My shoulder. Well, yes. it was the whole arm. It's so weird. You get an injury in the, uh, in the shoulder, and then you have what yeah. they physiotherapist refers to as uh, referred, referred pain. pain so it ends up hurting all down your arm and your hand and everything so I had a problem with my neck that affected my thumb weird so yeah my neck was it was like in the top of my shoulder my neck and it was the same thing I was traveling for business and I wasn't I wasn't seeing anybody about it I didn't know what it was and I thought it was my arm and it wasn't my arm at all it was actually it was actually the top of my, like, my shoulder and my neck. So, um, but what happens is if you pinch a nerve up there, then it'll go all the way down like it's your whole arm and you just can't do anything with it. So it's it's been fun to watch you try and lift your arm. Although your biggest problem was the security, lifting your arms for security <laughs> yeah. at the airport. I was a sad state going through security and you have to put your arms over your head for the scanner. Well, I couldn't do that, of course. Um, so I told the security guard about that, and he said, well, can you uh, hold your hands up, like, to shoulder level? Because that's an alternative, is you sort of put like your hands your up, hands up. Uh, at shoulder level. And so I said, okay, well, okay, I'll give it a try. I don't know. So I started doing it, and I got about halfway there, and I guess I had turned all white and was wincing. And he said, no, no, that's good enough. Uh, we'll find an alternative way. So they took me through the old-style metal detector and then swapped me in a bunch of places to make sure I didn't have chemicals on me or something but I actually got through quicker so there but I have some to say to I really suspect that your your shoulder your rotator cuff was not as bad when you went there as it was when you got back yeah I think I made it worse for <laughs> you sure you may have made it a touch worse oh yeah so note to self don't travel when do you're... not tear muscles <laughs> or ligaments like major just before muscles. heading to a conference yeah. well and thankfully, our insane month of travel and activities through October has come to an end uh, of all the different shows and trips that we did through October. We're all done with that now. So uh, we can heal a little bit, uh, get back to normal. Uh, I've got one trip. Normal is best fleets. <laughs> we can uh -huh. just take care of interviews and things. I have one more trip uh, this year, which is uh, next week, heading out to Winnipeg to do a presentation uh also um, known to us canadians as the peg or winter peg winter right, peg yeah uh, 
Um, but uh, going to do a Marsh Breakfast Forum. So Marsh Canada, the insurance broker and fabulous partner of ours, puts on these uh, breakfast forums periodically and has people come and talk about different subjects. And they really like to drag me out there in the winter and laugh at how I can't handle the cold. Um, so it's going to be end of November, which shouldn't be too terribly bad. won't be bad for them. It'll be like uh, mid-fall for them, but I'll probably think it's cold. So I'm going to be talking about um, technology adoption um, and basically taking series of webinars that we have that are all about building support for new technology, planning a rollout, building a business case, all of that kind of thing. And even though our webinars are focused on training and how to put all of that together and make a successful training rollout, a lot of the stuff we talk about applies to any different kind of technology. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about technology that. adoption. Yeah, like how to how to make sure that your people aren't going to scream and run. Yeah, as and soon as you try and impl- implement it, because there's yeah, how to get it, them on side. And it doesn't matter what kind of technology it is. It's actually no matter what kind of change you want to make. It's not. It's not uh, just technology. No. It's any kind of change. Well, and the other part of it that I think I'll spend a good chunk of time on is how to get different factions within the company on board with this idea. So, and we see this in the online training world that we have safety people, we have risk people that like the idea of moving some training online, but now they've got to go and convince the executives, they've got to convince other managers, they've got to convince drivers. Or vice versa. Sometimes it's the executive who want to do and there's a lot of resistance from the safety manager. Oh, line manager point. level. They don't talk about that a whole lot. I'll add that in there. You should because, I mean, we've seen it. It doesn't happen as often. Yeah. Because usually it's the safety department who's who, in safety training, sometimes HR, who starts the whole process, and then they have to try and sell it to executive. But sometimes the executive says, and I know a couple of examples um, that I can tell you later, um, that are saying, the executive is saying, yeah, I want to put it in, but uh, my safety manager is not that great on the idea or not mm-hmm. that not that thrilled about it. And they don't want to rock the boat that much because the safety manager is doing. Well, and those things will crash and burn as well. If, uh, if the executive tries to force it down their throats or if they don't communicate it uh, more uh, effectively, it... It is almost worse in sometimes that case because uh, they've actually spent the money, they've invested in doing it, and then you get all of these mid-level managers and safety training, whatever, that are just kind of dragging their feet and not really doing much with it. And that's going to kill it. Yeah, it ends up not being a good use of the money. So um, that's a good point. I'll add that in there as well. My, uh, my program thus far talks a lot more about... Um, from a manager, a mid-level manager point of view, and whether it's a safety manager or a uh, operations manager, or even a maintenance manager, how to sort of speak in the the kind of terms that other constituencies are going to uh, respond to. So if you want to sell an idea to the executive team, how do you speak in a way that they get it? How do you speak a language that, that makes sense to them and is aligned with what they're doing so that they can get on board with it. And similarly, how to think about what drivers care about and position it in a way that is going to be uh, um, successful with them, something they're going to respond to. So all of these different groups fulfill different roles within a business, within an organization. And so if you 
think a little bit about how they're doing things and what their roles are within the business, you can reframe the message and uh, get them on side. So that's what I'm going to talk about. Uh, I've got about two hours. So basically, I'm going to take three webinars, three one-hour webinars, and condense them down and hope that it works out. But now you give me some more content to add there in there. There you go. So, uh, and you can always talk about PowerPoint. <laughs> There's always PowerPoint that yes. you can diss. Last week I did our uh, our monthly webinar was uh, the session on how to do great PowerPoint, um, what not to do with PowerPoint and how to make it look good, which is not coincidentally the longest monthly webinar that we have. Most of them are about 50 minutes or so. This one goes the full hour and then some. Uh, because apparently I have lots of opinions on PowerPoint. So, uh, and even though I've delivered this one many times, every time there's something new, I come up with some <laughs> new thing that I want to highlight for people, things to avoid when doing PowerPoint and how to make sure that you're uh, in the right place and doing the right things and not making a mess of it. So Mark loves PowerPoint. Yes. So that's sort of upcoming events, recent events. Um, but that kind of, um, going back to the safety and security show, that kind of takes us to um, talking about how we decide on different courses, because one of the things that happened at that show uh, was a presentation about FISMA, the new Food Safety Modernization Act. And it was a fairly detailed presentation from a couple of different people that are obviously involved in it very deeply. And coming out of that presentation we decided not to do a course on that uh, and not to do anything related to uh, FISMA training. And so it's kind of, I thought it'd be worth to talk a little bit about why. About why we decided not to? And as a, re a response to that or, or related to that, uh, how we decide in general about what courses we should be building. Well, I think it comes down to how much... How much it's needed, how much it's necessary, yeah, and where it is in the grand scheme of things. Because when we did our base courses, those were all extremely basic, necessary. Everybody needs them. So for FISMA, there's going to be free training available. It's highly, it's a highly customized type of training for each company that does it, and there's already. A whole bunch of it already out there. So those so, are all things that we think about. First of all, how much, how much demand is there? I mean, is this a, a thing that is going to affect everybody, or is it only going to affect a small group of people in the industry? And also, that comes from like how much our customers are saying. How much are you our doing customers anything requesting? You know, our customers asking for it, which is a large part of what drives course development scheduling. Um, if it is something that is going to affect people. Um, what other options are out there? Is it generalized content? For instance, hours of service is generalized content that the regs are the same for everybody. So uh, it's easy or easier to produce a content package that is going to be applicable to a large group of people. Whereas some other subjects, um, FISMA being one of them, it's a little bit different for everybody. There's a few basic things that apply, but beyond that, it's um, it's essentially different for everyone. Um, and then the other thing that I think um, you were alluding to there is what's out there already. I mean, is there already decent training available to people? Are they tending to build their own? Uh, are they already building and delivering their own? Which I guess sort of comes back to demand as well. If people are building it, it's something that they understand. 
then maybe we're not um, needing to build as much ourselves. There isn't as much of a hole there for us to fill. And that can change. I mean, if somebody, um, if we get a number of customers that say, oh, no, really, we really need this training. This is the kind of thing we want. Well, definitely look at it again. But I think that right now it's mostly update type of things. Well, and yeah, it's you also something that uh, that people train their drivers on an orientation. Is this driver training? Is this management training? Like what kind of training is it? So it's, if it's more focused towards management, that's not what we're doing. We're focused on the driver. Yeah, and there's two things in what you just said there that uh, we can explore a little further. First is that timing makes a huge difference because there may not be a lot of demand right now. Three months from now, people might start asking for it. And that also comes about when there's new regulations that aren't well understood or aren't clearly defined. Maybe uh, the regulations are still in progress. So there may not be a lot of people asking for it, or it may just be that the content isn't well defined enough that people haven't figured out exactly what they need to do. Um, and then second part of it, second thing that you just said, is it orientation training? Is it training for existing people, whatever? Well, that's something else that we have to look at as well in terms of what are we doing? Are we doing a training course for people that have never had any experience with this before? So it's basically from the ground up training. Or are we doing training that is focused um, primarily on illustrating the changes? Uh, and I think we talked about that in the, in the last podcast regarding dangerous good stuff and the fact that sometimes you need a course that is just about the changes. Yeah. And sometimes you just need the basics of the content all put together in a single package. So every time there is a subject that comes up, we have to go through this process of sort of looking at all of these different things. Uh, what is the demand? Uh, how many people are going to use it? What's out there already? Um, how consistent is it? Um, and put all of these things together and decide, does it make sense to be putting a bunch of time into building it because if you're building a course what's your timeline on a course it's some couple of months yeah right? so it was about two depending on the size of the course it can be as little as two months or as long as four to five months so yeah so that could be a fairly lengthy endeavor to get that built um which also sort of weighs into the timing thing like maybe people don't need it now but two or three months from now when the course is done maybe people do need it so we have to look at all of these things, and in the case of FISMA, um, FTA is going to be putting out, uh, they say they're going to be producing free training uh, for everybody that will cover the basics. And in the same regulation, they also say that they're not really going to have a lot of specific requirements on uh, what needs to be trained, how long that training needs to be, what format it's in, any of those kind of things, because they recognize that it is so specific to every company. So that really makes it tough. So what would we build training on? Where's the hole there? FDA is covering the basics. Every company's got to do their own customer-specific stuff. Where's the need from our end? Not really much of one. No, but like. we have the platform where people who can put can put whatever training online that they yeah. want to. So We've already got the tools for them to add their own content. If they create it, they can add their own content into our system. Um and what we will do is build out more tools that make it easier to import records of training from other places. So that if you are taking your FDA course and having drivers do that and downloading the certificates at the end, all of that can be imported into our system more easily and have all of that tracked in one place. So um, we can make some enhancements there, but that seems like a better use of resources than 
creating this course from scratch that probably not that many people are going to use. However, accident scene investigation is requested highly and uh, something that I don't think there's a lot of uh, material yeah, out there. Yeah, that's a great example yeah. of the opposite, where there seems to be a real hole. Uh, every insurance person that we work with, all the insurance companies, uh, the association people, sort of the risk consultants that are out there reselling on our behalf, they're all saying that there's a huge gap in understanding of what to do at the scene uh, for drivers. And there's not a lot out there. It is something that applies to everybody, regardless of what type of freight you haul. Uh, so it is something that makes sense for us to invest in building, and we are doing that. And we are. So hopefully for the new year, maybe mm -hmm. February? Uh, I would think so, yeah. Uh, I think February would be a good target because I'll get all the updates. There's a bunch of things that are coming out because we'll have Spanish hours of service. We'll have the updates to Dangerous Goods for Canada. Um there might be a couple other We've things. We've got a sort of a backlog wellness, of courses yeah. that are just about to go live. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the wellness, the Spanish HOS, Punjabi HOS, um, some other updates that have gone live already um, for dangerous goods and things. Uh, so yeah, we'll have a, a backlog sort of cleared. And uh, early in the new year, we'll uh, get to work or get or crank it up. We've done some work already. I think you've already started the, the groundwork of putting your pieces together and compiling sort of best practices from all of our insurance partners and mm -hmm. people like that. Um, so we think in the sort of latter half of February, that one should be done. Now, at the same time, going back to FISMA, you never know. It may change. It may yeah. turn out that the FDA changes their mind about doing something or um, they say it's going to be delayed for a year and a half. Or, and, and people are saying, no, no, there's so many basics that we need that we don't want to do it ourselves. Um, so we may end up changing our position on that. But right now, it looks like something that we're just taking a, a wait and see, and we'll focus on things that are going to be applicable for everybody. Yeah. So that's a little bit on the course selection or selection of course development uh, process. And... But of course, we're not doing any course development, any major sort of new creative work right now, because all we're doing is interviewing people. <laughs> <laughs> or trying to schedule interviews yeah, with so people. We, we are in the thick of it with the Best Fleets program right now. And uh, so but, what we do at the beginning is that there's a whole bunch of people who are really enthusiastic or they um, or just fast and have completed their questionnaires already. Now, some people had completed their questionnaires well, by the time the nomination period. Let's the process a little bit as to what happens Again? in different phases. So, well, that was a different webinar that we did where we talked about it. Okay. So It's in my head, so I figure it should be in everybody's head. We've been doing a lot of different presentations about this for different audiences, so it's hard to keep track of who we've talked to about different things. But very quickly, the Best Fleets process, the nomination period ran through September and October, and once fleets are nominated... They have to go through a questionnaire. Um, it's a lengthy questionnaire and tell us about what they're doing. And after that, we do an interview with them to sort of follow up with that, fill in the, the blanks or the gaps or um, get any extra information that we need for that. And then the last part of it is a driver survey. So some, as soon as they're nominated and as soon as that nomination is confirmed, they can get in there and start on that questionnaire. 
And as Jane is saying, some of them are super keen and are in there and have it done within like two days. So October 15th, there's a bunch of them that have finished the yeah. thing already. Um, so then sort of the next rush on our end is scheduling all of the interviews, getting the people that are going to be um, representing their company to talk to us uh, and go through this with us. And that's what we're sort of in right now is the process of interviewing because each of us has done I don't know, a half dozen or more uh, interviews. Um, but the big headache in sort of the first part of uh, November is just getting everybody scheduled. Because we can see how, like, the level of completion for everybody in terms of the questionnaire. And so as you get closer to the questionnaire, then, or as you get closer to completing the questionnaire, then we want to get the interviews out of the way because we have to do... You know, anybody who finishes a questionnaire, we got to talk to, and we only have until December 16th to, to do that. So people have until the end of November to finish the questionnaires, but often they don't do it until after Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we have this rush of people after Thanksgiving, but they haven't scheduled interviews, so it just makes it a big problem on the end. So what we try to do... And what we've tried to do in the past is as soon as humanly possible, we get these people scheduled. Like we, you know, we're constantly after all of these, um, all of these representatives to, you know, hey, you know, can you do an interview? Can we do an interview? Yeah, can we as do soon an as interview? they're about halfway finished in their questionnaire, we're probably tapping them with an email to try and schedule Well, it. I do all the 100% first, mm-hmm. which is easy because... They've been waiting for mm-hmm. a little while. But after that, and I'm sort of at that place now where I finished everybody. I've contacted everybody who's at 100% or like between 90 and 100% and scheduled an interview. But now the next batch are, you know, it's 80%, 60%, 2%, like those, all those people and I have no idea what their plans are for completing this. Are you waiting until after Thanksgiving? Are you going to do it tomorrow? Like I'm doing an interview today with someone who has a 0% questionnaire. <laughs> and the reason that I'm okay with that is because they've been in the program before and I have talked to them and I know that they're going to do it. Probably They've probably got it all written out and they're going to upload it this morning. So I'm okay with that. I would rather have time to look at it, but... So I'm, it's these, it's the people who I don't want to bug yet because I have no idea when they're going to finish this. So this weekend, I said to Mark that we need a way for us to tell, for them to tell us that they're ready for an interview. Yeah. So we're going to add that in, but uh, add a big I, I think red a, button. a couple of things we'll add in a function where it automatically prompts them for interviews uh, when they submit and uh, also gives them options to suggest times that are going to be convenient for them. But I find this part of it one of the more fascinating aspects of the whole Best Fleets program. And And irritating. (laughs) Fascinating. We'll Uh, we'll go with fascinating. Because I am constantly amazed at how much we can learn about a company even before we look at that questionnaire. Or speak to them. Yeah, just going through the process of scheduling this interview. Because it really shouldn't be that complicated. It should be a case of we send them a message and say, hey, I see you're in progress with your questionnaire. I'd like to get your interview scheduled. What's, uh, what's a good time for you over the next couple of weeks? 
and uh, they should look at their calendar and respond back and say, okay, I've got time on this date or that date, I've got a block here, I've got a block here, and from there we schedule it. It should not be that difficult. But it is amazingly difficult <laughs> to schedule people because you see the, the widest range of different types of companies. There will be guaranteed, there is going to be somebody who emails us December 16th, which is sort of the last date possible for interviews, and says, we were nominated, but I didn't receive anything and nobody called us. So what's going on with this thing? Even though on the website it says, if you haven't heard anything within a week, contact us. There's all of this information on the web, on the website. Uh, the Facebook page and Twitter has got tons of information. All of these reminders going out. We send email all the time. But there's going to be somebody who's got all of the email going to their junk folder that they never, ever check and who doesn't bother to look into it. And uh, right at the last minute calls us or emails us or probably doesn't contact us. They'll call TCA. Yeah, mostly they call TCA. And, say, and then they'll always be sour grapes because they missed the cutoff. They won't be, they, they'll be in disbelief that, the, that they uh, have missed their opportunity and they'll want to blame us every single year. Yeah, one of we've those. had every... These we've... are not best fleets. <laughs> <laughs> there will also be people, and it, it, it amazes me, there are people that you know are super busy, but yet... When you send them an, uh, a message, within two hours, three hours, you've got a response, and it's super easy to book them. Yep. Uh, and there's a couple of companies that I can think of that I know are like that. And The Bison, overall winners Bison tend to Transport be like that. always is like yep. that. And, you know, people... Have, and you know what I like is that they schedule, when the upper management schedules directly with me, mm -hmm. I, you know, I appreciate that because going through an assistant... I find really, really, yeah, Jane hates I, I do. It's not that I hate the assistant personally, but I hate going through the assistant because that's just one more level where the assistant has to try and figure out what the schedule is for possibly two or three people and then has to come. So I get the, you know, well, what, what do you have for next week? Oh, I can't do that. Oh, what do you have for the next week? And it's like, okay, why don't you tell me what, your availability is, and I'll try and work you in. And no one ever does. And for some reason, I'll say, tell me what, what's good for you. And then, but when people, I can get something scheduled in about half an hour, like just through email, I'll just, I'll get it scheduled so quick when, well, when I'm talking you. to the people who I'm supposed to be talking to, like I don't, I don't. But it tells you so much about the company and how they interact and how efficient they are as a business. If they're capable of looking at their calendar and saying, okay, here are the blocks that work. Yeah. And, you know, it's the executive for the company that are involved and they actually make time and you can book them uh, versus companies where they want to have their whole middle management team on there, which is unnecessary. We need maybe one or two people from the company. We don't need everybody. But sometimes they've got people calling in from different terminals and it's this huge mess trying to get it coordinated. Uh, I'm not bothered by that. I think that if you want to have people from different parts of your company on the call, then that's fine. If they can get it organized. And, I mean, there's, but don't there's make some, it my problem to get yeah, your people organized. There are some that do that, and you send them the message, and they say, okay, here's two times, and it's fine, and there's going to be a bunch of us, so we'll call you. All right, I got no problem with that either. 
but it's when it's okay. Well, we need five people, and this person is available this date, and this person is available that date. Like it's up to me to figure out their scheduling. Yeah, you know. So and I, it's kind of, it's kind of like when you have. Um, well, at that point, you know, there are certain things you care about and certain things you don't really have time to care about mm-hmm. and other people's schedule, internal scheduling, scheduling issues. Yeah. I really don't have time to care about that. Yeah. So we're going to try and schedule and conduct 50 to 60 interviews over roughly a six week period. Yeah. And one of those weeks is Thanksgiving. So it's really a tight schedule for us. So we cannot be chasing people down, but at the same time. The reason that this sticks with me, it sounds like we're just moaning about uh, having to actually do some administrative work, but what it tells us about the company is how they approach their people, how they approach um, work, their attitude towards communication and working together, because these are all people who presumably want something from us. Um, You know, they're not doing us a favor by scheduling this call. We don't care if they participate or not. Their driver nominated them. They are participating because presumably they want to tell their story and demonstrate that they are among the best in the industry. But they undercut themselves so often by being impossible to schedule or treating us like we're juniors, like we're the help, um, or acting like they're doing us a favor by responding. Um, Well, yeah, I got one. I got a response where I was trying to schedule and I was told that, you know, I'm not going to be available for the felt like the foreseeable future and I thought okay well that's fine but then I got sorry for the inconvenience I'm thinking well not inconveniencing me (laughs) this is really an issue for you because you're going to need to get your driver surveys done and if you decided that you were going to be on vacation during November that's fine but shouldn't you have like a plan of how you're going to deal with best fleets as well, if you want or to. Or the rest of your business. I mean, we're not the only thing happening in the business. For most of the industry, this is the busy time. And if you're going to be on holidays for two or three weeks in that time, well, that's great. You obviously have got some sort of succession planning or some sort of fallback on your management team. Let's talk to them. You know, we yeah. can talk to the management team. We can talk to whoever is holding down the fort while you're gone. Uh, but it tells us so much. And, and it fascinates me because we have this experience that we go through early on, you know, in the November period. But then we get through everything and usually we end up finding space for all these people and they end up doing their interviews and they get their surveys in and they make it through into the finals anyway. But when we get to the scoring in January, um, we don't really look at any of the names. We look at the data that comes in. We look at the answers to the questions, and we score them all based on that exclusively. And the driver surveys are automatically and The driver scored. surveys are scored. We've got an, um, an algorithm that goes through and does that on its own. But looking at the actual questionnaire and interview information, we just look at the answers without even seeing the companies. So then we sort of put all of that together and score it. And I'm always fascinated by how well it matches the score Our and the experience. people that mat, that do well always matches up with the, with the people that are a good experience, you know. And so I and Bison this. is a good example because yeah, they were the them. overall winner They've last year. They've been an year. overall winner a couple of times, and they're the easiest people they to schedule. Are they're so busy, so easy. Uh, but yet, it takes nothing to schedule. And there's other large companies that are like that as well. Landstar is another one mm-hmm. that is always reliable, and that's a big company. There's a lot of stuff going on there, but yet. You email them, 
you know, the email actually gets through. Um, <laughs> you get a response. Uh, it's easy to schedule them. And the drivers know who to contact and they have an email address for them. That's the other thing where mm. the drivers don't even know who the person is or they get completely wrong person. And it's it, well, that's a yeah, that's a good point as well, because when drivers nominate their fleet, they have to provide contact info for the company. So you have to name the company and provide a contact person, phone number, and email address. And many fleets, the drivers know who the contact is. They provide full information. They obviously have got collaboration working within that company. But then you get some other, um, some fleets, and the driver will nominate the company and often say really nice stuff about how great it is working there. But in terms of contact, they just give you like a generic but email operations address. at yeah, or, company X. Or they don't even know the name. It's like, um, you know, Mr. Smith or whatever is the name they give you for the contact. And they give you a general phone number, um, like just the main switchboard number. And it's like, how are we supposed to contact anybody from there? Um, so that tells us something as well, because, uh, you know, the companies that really have their act together that are communicating and communicating in a modern fashion, which includes email, um, those companies tend to do better. We can reach those people. Um, all of the automated tools that we have work better because these people can receive email and uh, they can go through the process. Um, they can uh, get through everything that they need to get through. All of the tools are there. They're getting their regular notifications and stuff, so they're up to speed on what's happening. And even like the messages that we send. Yeah, I'll send they a, read the messages that we send. I'll send a couple of messages throughout the program just reminding people of key dates and highlighting certain things. And the people that have their communication act together get those messages and they fulfill them. So, Or they ask questions. Or ask questions. Or we'll say, hey, I, yeah, I'm scheduled to do this, but I need to reschedule or whatever. That's fine. Um, but, and know. I'm happy to reschedule and, and do whatever. I just... I just need to not be given the runaround. That's <laughs> what drives me up the wall because I'm not doing you a favor. Well, and the thing that I've noticed this year, and it's just what we tell a, the kids, this yeah. is not a favor. <laughs> yeah. But sure is not an answer. One thing I've noticed this year that's jumping out at me is um, people not reading the questions all the way through. Uh, and so what happens is we have this questionnaire and people fill it in. But they also see their answers from past years. So if things haven't changed, they can just reuse that answer. And a lot of times, like your benefits program or some of your policies and things like that, they don't necessarily change from year to year. So we don't want them typing it out again. They can just reuse that answer. But we also go through and we change or reword some of the questions uh, each year because maybe we want to rephrase it so that we get slightly different information or we found we're not getting good data or something like that. Um, so we, a we'll good example, a good example of that is that we changed our you know, basic, basically what was your, what's your hiring process to what hap Yeah. What happens when people come for orientation? We well, don't we specifically said we do not need to hear details of your applicant screening and selection process mm -hmm. because we found we weren't getting any good data. Everybody does pretty much the same thing there. So we don't really need to collect that information anymore. And it really doesn't matter to us how they get their people. And what it really matters to us is what they do with their people after they get them. So we realized that that was, you know, the the 
screening process is not a big deal. And everybody, yeah, like you said, they're doing, everybody's doing PSP and all of that. And But what we found is there's a lot of people that didn't bother reading the question all the way through, missed that last bit about cutting out the uh, screening stuff. And so they've got a ton of data in there about their screening process that they had in past years. So I'm going through and I'm seeing some of them where like two thirds of the answer is all about their applicant selection process that we've specifically said don't include. And they've got a tiny bit of information about what they do afterwards. So I'm not sure what to do with that. Part of me thinks that they should be penalized uh, for that because they're not, they're not reading the question. You know, you're not paying attention. Um. And I'll come back to what I always say, which is if that's how they treat this program, that's how seriously they take this when they want something from us, what are they doing for a driver? Now, what happens when a driver But asks at the a same time, if you think about it, the people who've done this over and over and over again for six or seven years probably are doing a bit of that. And I don't think it's really, it's disappointing to see it, but I don't think it's really a, a knock in their direction because, I mean, they've done it for years. Yeah. And some of these people have never won or even been on the top 20 and they're still doing it. So, and it's something that you do at this time of year. And, and I mean, if it's, if it's like a copy paste, exactly the same thing from past years, every year, if the entire questionnaire is like that, then yeah, I, I think that yeah, might be a problem, things. but yeah, especially right. when you see differences and, you know, see, I've slept on it and I don't, I don't <laughs> think it's as bad anymore, but also Sometimes you just don't read, like when you see something that you've seen over and over again, yeah. you just don't see it. Yeah. And so, there is a, something like 105 questions on that questionnaire. There's 99. Is that what it is? 99? It's 99 yeah. we, we now. Removed we removed some, but we made, so we made them it longer. Easier. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> made it longer. Questions. All right. Okay. Well, we'll see. So the, the jury is out on what we're going to do about that, but that is definitely something that we're noticing. So on a more positive note, though. I have come across some cool things that some people are doing. Have you? Have you found anything yet that's really jumping I out have, at you? but you know what? I, now I can't remember. Well, the one that stuck out at me that I thought was really cool as a sort of great way of using technology to broaden the tent and uh, help with collaboration is a company, and now I can't even remember which company it was, um, that does driver meetings, does in-person driver meetings, but of course... Not a lot of people show up for those. So they broadcast them through Facebook Live. So, Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me that about that well, one. Well, it's such a great idea because Facebook Live is a nice, simple way of putting it out there. It's a live broadcast, but people watching it can also send in questions uh, through the comments. So you've got this two-way collaboration. It's, it's a lot like doing a webinar kind of thing, but it's a much Maybe simpler. Maybe we should turn this into a Facebook Live thing. Well, what stuck out at me is that we had already talked about broadcasting the award presentation. Uh, we we're going to do Facebook Live of the award presentation in Well, March. the TCA wants to do it for more than just yeah, our award presentation. They're going to do it for a bunch of things. Yeah. Uh, but I thought this was a really good idea. And the nice thing about the Facebook Live uh, broadcast is that even when it's done, it's still there as sort of a canned video on the feed. So any driver who couldn't make it... Um, you know, couldn't make it live, can at least watch the thing and see the comment thread. They can jump into the comments uh, and uh, provide their own feedback. And I thought, wow, that is a nice way of doing it. Very simple. Uh, it works. 
You know, if you can be there in person, great. If you can't be there in person, but you're available at that time, you watch it for Facebook Live. Uh, if you can't be there then, then at the end of the day or whenever you've got a break, you watch it then. And they can see, you know, they can track who's participated. They've got people to, uh, um, you know, send in comments or something like that to indicate that they've uh, watched it and all of that sort of thing. Really nice way of doing things. I thought that was very cool. Have I told you anything that I thought was really cool? Yes, and no, I don't remember it either. But there's, uh, well, I'm seeing some differences. There's a, oh, we have um, some new companies that are, are doing really well. That mm-hmm. I've, that is so, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out at the end. Um, little companies who tend, who try to act like big companies. That's what I find is a really, a, a real mark of success for not only for best fleets, but just in general. The 10 truck guy. The 10 truck, that's who what I'm deli- talking yeah, about. Yeah, who's delivering a load while doing his interview. He was, he was. And you know what? It wasn't really a problem. Um, I didn't have any issue. Well, I didn't have any issues with him at all. Um, scheduling or doing the interview, even though he was working at the same time. Because he's driving for his company as well. But he came from a... Uh, he he was a sound engineer, so he did, and he had his own company uh, doing audio engineering for live bands and live performances and that kind of thing. And then when the recession hit, uh, he he found that he was competing against all you know people he considered his family because they're all like it's a pretty small community. The that kind of you know. The entertainment industry is pretty small, but that particular just focusing on sound, I mean, that's a pretty small area. So what he decided to do is take his business and move it towards more of the transportation because he already had that because he was hauling his equipment around and stuff. And apparently that's an issue for this particular um, this particular uh, group of people or group of companies have issues with being able to trust transportation companies and, you know, do they know what they're doing in terms of our equipment and blah, blah, blah. And so he decided to do this. And he, when you look at his website, it doesn't look like what he says in his questionnaire because he's really a small company. He's pretty much the smallest company I think we've ever had. Yeah. But his website is much more makes it look like he's at least 50 or 50 or 100. (laughs) So it was interesting to talk to him. He has a lot of, he provides a lot of things for his drivers. And it reminded me of Farm to Fleet when I interviewed them, I don't know, four or five years ago. And they were really tiny as well, but they were really trying to think big. Hmm. So it wasn't like, we can't do this. Is that how it more, the question is more, how are we going to do this? Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Cool. Yeah, I remember you talking about them because I think 10 trucks is what they have, which is the bare minimum. You have to have at least 10 trucks to participate. 10 tractor trailers. They have a couple of straight trucks. So they really, there's like 12. Yeah, they're big. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I always find it interesting how wide a range we get because there's always somebody that's fairly small. um, And usually the smallest to get through to the top 20 is somewhere in the 20 truck range or something, but you never know. These guys may make it. Uh, And the largest will be many thousands of power units. So a huge range every year, and it's always interesting to see how it plays out. So 
Uh, I think I've got 10 or 11 interviews this week. So, I mean, we're really getting into the grind of it now. Yeah. And uh, it will be interesting to see how it shakes out. So I think on the next podcast, we'll have even more updates and things that we've found, um, interesting things that are jumping out and friends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and uh, as far as what else is coming up, um, I mentioned that I'm heading out to Winnipeg next week. Um, we've got a couple of press pieces coming out because you did an interview with fleet owner a couple of weeks ago. And that was, I think that was about technology and millennials and attracting diversity in millennials and that kind of thing. Because it's kind of the same thing, attracting diversity in millennials that they go together That's from what I can your see. That's becoming bag, isn't it? All the diverse um, millennials. Diverse millennials, it's funny because it never really was, but I kind of fell into it because, you know, people, same with best fleets. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an HR expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I know how to talk to people and I know how here's my special, my superpower is, is siphoning information out of people, (laughs) you know, and asking weird questions and getting them to tell me more than they ever thought that they were going to. Mm. So, you know, I start talking to people or I read things and I think, wait a minute, there's more to this here. And the same with technology, millennials, diversity, it's all sort of congealing into, into one that... The more technology you have, the more you can attract millennials who are naturally diverse. So the Mm. more that you're open to different ways of doing things using technology and the more experimental you are, the more that you can attract people and you won't have to work so hard at being quote unquote diverse. Mm. It will just happen. And I I, I did find a couple of the best, uh, one of the best fleets in particular who went, and I know this doesn't seem like a big deal, but the company is uh, Flat Deck, and they went from zero to three women in the year. And they're all like two, oh wait, no, is it three? No, actually I said zero to three. I thought that was good. But then she goes, no, it's updated now. Uh, The woman that I was talking to, she said it's six. And I was like, oh, okay, that's zero to six in a year. That's big when you're talking about flatbed. And, and two of those women are doing it on their own. So that's a big, you know, that's a big change. Because a lot of people say that women can't do flatbed. And I don't believe that. Mm. And obviously, this particular company doesn't either. So is that, that was the interview was talking about that kind of stuff? Oh, no, sorry. That was a Best Fleets interview. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. I'm like, it's Monday, not enough coffee. But no, the Best Fleets interview that I had was um, was talking about the flat deck thing. Mm. But I did do a, the, I did an interview with Fleet Owner that was talking about millennials and so diversity. More broadly and then, in that area of diversifying yeah, the workforce. Yeah, and it kind of all congeals in my head. That's why I just go from yeah. one to the other and you don't know when I've <laughs> which side I'm on. Well, if you do both of these interviews in quick succession and you've got a whole pile of other things happening at the same time, it does all sort of fit together. Yeah, yeah well, I kind of, this is... The other thing that my brain tends to do is make everything fit together, is find patterns in, in things that are happening and 
just general world mm. experiences. But the fleet owner, uh, the fleet owner thing was good. But we also have a, a truckload authority piece that's mm-hmm. coming out for best fleet. So the next issue or the issue that's well, no, coming it's not out coming out for best fleets. It's, it's coming out of the convention. Coming out in time for the convention, and it is a it's a story about us. Yes. So not just about best fleets. It's about uh, us you and, and me, how we buddy. fit it all together. And uh, I thought that the uh, the angle for that. I thought ended up being really interesting. Uh, our PR company had the idea that um, the the it all sort of fits into a work life balance mold because we talk about online training as a way of sort of improving quality of life for drivers because they don't have to come off the road, blah blah blah. But it also fits with what the best fleets are doing, which is finding ways to collaborate and work together and provide a good. Uh, a better work experience for their drivers. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then we also are sort of practicing what we preach as well, because most of our workforce, all of our workforce is virtual. People work remotely. Uh, We work from home much of the time. Uh, So in the summer, uh, many business decisions are made out by our pool and that sort of thing. So that ended up being kind of a, um, a story that all fit together. All the pieces fit together pretty well. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that turned out. Um, the fun adventure that we had last week is we had to go and get a photo shoot done for that. It was not our best day either. <laughs> it was a, it was a fine experience because it's, it's been, <laughs> it's been a very busy little while and it was a long week. A lot of stuff was going on. So we went and did these photos group, uh, the, the photos of the two of us. And we went to a studio and had them done by a real photographer. But then both of us spent the whole, I don't know, 20 minutes reviewing those things afterwards, just cringing at every shot. Because <laughs> it's like, oh boy, we're obviously rather tired. Tired so and old. and The only shots that we really liked are the ones where we were making ridiculous faces <laughs> or we're being silly. So it'll be funny to see uh, what ends up getting used uh, for those. Well, I've, I've sent them. Oh, you sent, I've sent them? a bunch of bunch of them off. Not all of them. Oh, okay. Just some of them. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we may put some of those on the website because they're all pretty funny. That uh, one with us staring off into space, that's yeah, my favorite. There's one where we look like a TV news crew. We're kind of leaning <laughs> into the camera. Uh, so, yeah. Well, she didn't know what business we were in, so we could have been TV news crew. Yeah. Uh, KTLA. Just, yeah, just have a live at five underneath <laughs> us there. Uh, so I think that kind of wraps it up for, uh, for this episode. Um, lots more stuff coming up in the best fleets program, lots more stuff coming up in the world of course development and new learning management features. Um, we didn't even have all that much time to get into those, but we'll have more updates on the next edition. And I think we are going to have some guests. Oh, we want to have guests. We want to have our sponsors, uh, because we forgot to uh, give a plug to our sponsors. So. We have uh, the Best Fleets program, uh, as you have probably gathered from listening to us moan about it, is a lot of work to put together every year, which means it's expensive. Uh, So we are very, very, very happy to have a couple of awesome sponsors that help offset the cost of that. Bose, uh, Bose Corporation and the Bose Ride Seat System, uh, they have been sponsors for, I'm going to say, four years now. Uh, but they're a fantastic company, and the Bose Ride Seat is a perfect product to help drivers have a better experience on the road. Um, basically, I've always thought this thing was so cool ever since they launched it. So the Bose Seats, they basically take their noise-canceling headphone technology 
turn it on its side and put a seat on top of it. So instead of noise canceling, it's vibration canceling. So you end up with like the smoothest ride ever. Uh, and it's a fantastic uh, product. And they've done a lot of different studies with it. Um, and they've done one of the studies was with Bison um, before they were Best Fleet sponsors, mm-hmm. actually. But um, they found that not only was it a more comfortable ride for people, but that people who had back problems or driving related chronic injuries had a lot they could extend their driving life because it it made mm-hmm. it a lot smoother and made it a lot yeah, easier. Yeah, a lot of health benefits and safety benefits as well because people are paying attention, they're better rested. And there was um I remember listening to them talk about it uh, um just the home time, the quality of yeah. home time. So people went home and they weren't they weren't completely unrested and just trying to catch up on that, when they went home, they could actually have good family to good quality family time, mm-hmm. which is a which is a huge thing. If you only get a certain amount of time at home, then you want to be able to have that be a good time. Yeah, so fantastic product. Uh, great to see Fleet starting to adopt it. Uh, I think it's very cool. I think it should just be built into every truck. Um, the other sponsor, uh, equally awesome, Epic View. In a um, different way, but in kind of the audiovisual. Yeah, so Epic View, theme. most people know now, uh, direct TV, satellite TV, right into the sleeper berth of the truck, right into the cab. Uh, you get a big screen TV, you get a um, satellite dish, and now they have a PVR function as well. So it can be Ooh. recording shows. Um, so drivers can have all of this great quality entertainment when they have their uh, their rest time. So, so they can record shows? Even yeah, I when, think like, it records when it's moving even. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's it's, pretty that's newer. incredible because remember when we were traipsing across the country in an RV and how I completely demolished my computer. Yeah. Just from the vibration. Yeah. So they've got a lot of... Uh, a lot of cool features there. They're getting uh, getting to be fairly well known because they do a lot in the industry, and they're a fabulous group of people. Really nice, a good, uh, good group of group of guys to work with. Um, I say group of guys because I haven't met any women that work there yet. I'm sure they have uh, an equal number of fantastic women working for them. But um, the gang that we know there, really nice group of people, great quality product. Um, so we're very happy to have them on board and. Um, I'm great. It's really great to see Fleet starting to adopt that as well. It's one of the new questions we had in the program this year is about facilities that companies provide in the truck for their drivers to sort of capture things that fleets can do to improve quality of life on the road for drivers. So we're seeing more and more fleets that are using the Epic View system for their drivers, uh, more and more fleets that are using the Bose Ride seats, and all of that makes life a lot better. So, um, Thanks to our sponsors for being part of that. It really helps. And we're actually going to try and coordinate it, uh, I think, for the next episode or one of the ones afterwards to have the sponsors on here directly and talk. We're going to have some guests come on here, uh, and the sponsors are good ones to start with. So now that I have covered everything that I think I wanted to cover, is that all you wanted to go through as well? Yes. All right. I'm good. Well, I think we're done then. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. And have a great day.